Football season is finally here, and it's time to put your fantasy knowledge to the test to win your share of hundred grand in DraftKings' free Week 1 contest. That's right. DraftKings is hosting a free contest this weekend with $100,000 in total prizes up for grabs. DraftKings.com is the destination for one-week fantasy football. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. Play whenever you want with the players you want. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and follow your team live. Renew old rivalries with friends to prove you're the superior GM. Or try 50-50 contests where the top half of all entries win cash. DraftKings even has contests exclusively for beginners. There's something for everyone at DraftKings. So hurry to DraftKings.com now and use code FTW. That's code FTW when you sign up and play free in this weekend's $100,000 fantasy contest. The contest is 100% free, so there's no reason not to play. Again, that's code FTW, code FTW at DraftKings.com to play for free for your share of hundred grand this weekend. Only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See website for details. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Nate Scott. This is the For the Win Podcast. You're home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is the lead writer at Inside the Pylon, a new-ish site that I'm really a huge fan of. He's also a featured writer at Bleacher Report. It's Mark Schofield. Hey, man. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited. Football is back. We have an actual game tonight, an NFL game to talk about, a Super Bowl rematch, so it's a great time to be here, and it's great to be with you today. I'm super excited. Um, Mark writes both about the SEC, the NFL, QBs, wide receivers, tight ends. You're on You're on everything. This I try to cover everything. I get my hands in a little bit of a, a different sort of uh, broad-spectrum approach to covering football, but it's been a lot of fun covering it over at Inside the Pylon. So I do want to dive into some specifics. I want to talk to you about LSU's quarterback situation, Georgia's running game, and then uh, do some opening weekend stuff for the NFL. Before we do uh, – Inside the pylon, you guys launched the site. A friend of mine, Chuck Zada, who's a, a friend to the program, he's a kicking expert. What, what, what were you guys trying to do with the site, and, and what are you hoping to still do with it? Well, really what we're trying to do is really educate people about the game of football. It's such a fascinating game when you look at the schemes, the concepts, the things that go into every single play, uh, what players have to do in terms of an assignment, how they have to react to different things that the offense or defense might be showing them. So what we're trying to do is educate readers, educate listeners through a podcast about the things that happen on a play that when you really dive into it, there's a lot of fascinating stuff, whether it's route concepts, blocking schemes, things like that. So we really try to educate people. We do that with our glossary where we define uh, terms, concepts, give people some terminology, a little tool belt for them. So when yep. they're watching a game on the weekend and they hear a commentator say something or whether it's cover two or a route concept such as the smash concept, they know what they're talking about. They don't, you know, they can explain it to their friends. They can sound like the per- smartest person in the room. <laughs> yep. That's kind of the approach that we have. We want everybody to walk away from inside the pylon when they go to watch a game with their friends or at the you know local bar or something. They feel like they're the smartest person in the room. Absolutely. And, and for me, I know it's been a big help. Um, just sort of understanding, you know, I'm not Chris Collinsworth. I wish I was, but uh, yeah, this, this site is something that uh, is a site that's one of my kind of go-tos for, you know, understanding uh, on, a, on a slightly de- deeper level and, and, and at times a much deeper level what, what's happening in the game. So everyone check out Inside the Pylon. All right, wanted to start talking about LSU 
and this is sort of for selfish reasons. I was down in Louisiana this past weekend watching the opening game, which, as you can imagine, was a, a, a dark occasion with uh, LSU not doing exactly what they wanted in that in that opening game. Uh, and, the, and the refrain I kept hearing from LSU fans down there is, if we could just, if we just had a quarterback, we'd win the, we'd win the national championship every year. How, how have they not fixed this yet? This is ridiculous. Uh, I didn't think Brandon Harris was terrible in the game, but he, he but he certainly wasn't uh, a game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Do you think that LSU criticism is fair that their team can't produce QBs, or is is there something else going on here? I don't know that it's they can't produce QBs. I mean, Zach Mettenberger got to the NFL. He was yep. a, you know early round draft pick at the quarterback position, probably the last sort of pro style quarterback that they've had. The problem is with LSU right now, they're kind of between two different offensive schemes when it comes to the quarterback position. Brandon Harris is more suited to run sort of that spread option attack that we're seeing a lot of teams run. He's a more athletic guy, can throw on the move, but they're built to run the football out of I formation, 21-22 personnel, with him lining up under center and either handing the ball off or on that lead toss play where he basically serves as a backside blocker. So, I mean, it's kind of a rock and a hard place for that offense with Les Miles and Cam Cameron. I mean, these are two smart football coaches. Cam Cameron's coached in the NFL, so he knows how to develop quarterback talent. It's just you have the players to fit the scheme that you're running. Mm -hmm. And right now it's a bit of a problem. It's almost a dichotomy between what Harris is built to do but where the rest of that offense is built to do, and that's run the football out of sort of a smash ball type concept. So that's the sort of crossroads of LSU offense and finds themselves. They're a team that can win the SEC if they get some stable play at the quarterback position, but right now at least, Harris isn't built to deliver in this style of offense. Do you think they have to change it to, to for, for Harris, or does Harris have to augment his game to fit with what Fournette's doing in the rest of the offense? I mean, given the fact that you have Fournette, who's one of the premier running backs in yeah. the SEC, if not all of college football, you have a pretty good interior lineman. Their center, Ethan Poshek, is one of the better interior linemen in the SEC, again, if not all of college football. They're built to run the football and play this style of offense. It's easier to get Harris to sort of transition his game mm-hmm. than it is to get the other 10 guys to kind of fit what they're doing with the quarterback. Quarterback's a very important position, to get me wrong. I played it myself. Yeah. But when you've got 10 guys and an entire offense built to play one way, the quarterback needs to sort of change his style of play as a result um this kid coming in miles brennan have you watched any any tape a, on a little bit of tape i would not be surprised to see him get a couple of snaps going forward in a game to kind of get some familiarity with him but yeah. um it's it's harris's show it's harris's show um elsewhere oh quickly you mentioned Fournette. wanted to ask you about him how how does he translate to the next level that's been a subject of a lot of debate in that football evaluation community right now. There yeah. are a lot of people who are very high on Leonard Fournette and how he'll translate to the NFL. There are others that aren't really sure about it. And we're almost sort of seeing what we saw last year with Derrick Henry. There are some people who are very high on Derrick Henry, thought he was a great running back, would translate well to the NFL, but there are others who weren't sure he would fit every style of play, and they had concerns about change of direction, ability, how fast he can make cuts. If he's forced to make a cut in the backfield before he can really get going, can he do that? You can see similar concerns about Fournette. Yeah. If he gets a, hits a hole and gets to run downhill, he's great. Great, but if he's forced to make a cut in the backfield, does he have the footwork? Does he have the hip flexibility to make quick cuts? So those are some concerns that he'll have to address going forward. He's a great college running back. Whether he's going to be a great professional running back remains to be seen. Um, yeah, that's it's it's interesting with him, and it's interesting with with Henry. And I'm I'm curious to see what happens there in in Tennessee. But we'll save that for the NFL talk. Um, you wrote a 
piece today on Inside the Pylon about Georgia, about their rim running game with Nick Chubb. Um, that was a shaky opening performance there with them. What are what are you looking at with Chubb um, and Georgia's running game going forward, and how do you think that translates for them? Uh, opening stuff up for that young QB they've got there. Right. Well, similar to the discussion we were just having about LSU, Georgia's another team that's built to win running the football. Yeah. And the question mark going into this season, there were two. One, who is going to be taking snaps for them? Uh, they had Grayson Lambert, the rising senior, and Jacob Eason, the incoming freshman, both of whom saw time against North Carolina. They weren't overwhelming in the passing game. I think eventually this is going to be Eason's job going forward, maybe yeah. not this week, but sometime in the near future. The other big question mark was the health of Nick Chubb. He had that knee injury, tore ligaments, including his PCL. There are some questions if he'd even be available for this game. But he came back and I think answered the questions from a physical standpoint. Had to make cuts in the backfield, had to make cuts uh, going different directions, had to really put some stress on that left knee. But I think he passed all those tests with flying colors. So as long as he's healthy, George is going to go as far as he can take him in that run game. And that run game really was impressive against North Carolina. They had two sort of concepts, that lead draw where they have a fullback block for Chubb on a delayed handoff, as well as the power toss, which is something I expected them to run. I actually wrote a preseason article about that concept. Mm -hmm. um, they had a big touchdown run on that play to put that game away in the fourth quarter. So I think this is a team that right now um, we might have to see how good that North Carolina defense is. Maybe they were just going up against a little bit of a you know easier test than yeah. we'll see in the SEC. But for right now, that running game looks good. If they can get some decent production at the quarterback position like we were hoping for from LSU, this is a team that can probably win the SEC East. Interesting. Um, what's you, you, You've mentioned both these teams could do it. I mean, Alabama is sort of clear in a way right now the, the number one team. What's an SEC team that you think might surprise some people? This a week? team that really surprised me from this open weekend was Texas A&M. Yeah. Um, this is a team that Obviously, they've got some question marks at the quarterback position and offensively. They had Trevor Knight come in as a transfer, and he fared pretty well. Mm -hmm. But this is a team that's built to win, much like the Denver Broncos won last year with their defense. And they have two bookend defensive end edge players in Deshaun Hall and Miles Garrett, who are tremendous talents along the defensive front. Garrett's probably a top five, maybe top ten draft choice. He's a guy that can win off the edge with speed, with power, has an array of pass rushing moves to get after the quarterback. And that was a good LSU, uh, UCLA offense they were going yeah. up against. And they handled it very well. Um, a variety of blitzes and different schemes that they were able to do up front to confuse Josh Rosen, the quarterback. UCLA's transitioned to a bit of a different offense, so there might have been some hiccups along the way from them. But from that Texas A&M defense, they're flying around, getting to the football. They're going to be good enough to compete in the, S in the SEC West with that defense. Can they get over the hump and beat Alabama? Alabama's a great team. Yeah. I mean, that's a team that they don't rebuild, they don't retool. They just reload from yep. year to year. Yep. Um, but Texas A&M definitely impressed me from open weekend. Uh, Alabama, your national championship pick at this point? I think at this point. I yeah. mean, look at what they did against USC. I mean, just that from an offensive standpoint, they have a new quarterback. It doesn't matter. And they just have reloaded the skill positions. O.J. Howard might be the premier tight end in all of college football. I know it's not a marquee position to talk about, but yeah. tight ends can make a difference in football games, especially in the college game. Um, they have two nice receivers in Ridley and Stewart. Um, Scarborough is a nice running back. So they got enough production from the quarterback position. They're going to be the team to beat, I think, in the SEC West. Yeah. Um, this weekend in college football is terrible. Um, sorry. It's not great. It's <laughs> I was, not great. I was going to try and write, a, you know, what games you need to watch this weekend, and I just sort of threw my hands up and said, forget it. I'm just not even going to waste my time. Um, we do have the game at Bristol Motor Speedway, which 
will be fun from a spectacle point at least. And I, I'm, I'm thinking it would be fun from a football perspective. Is what happened with Tennessee in week one, and are they, are they for real? And was that a bad hiccup against a, a decent App State game? Or a As team somebody or? that picked Tennessee to win the SEC East and yeah. actually beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, I'm hoping it's a hiccup. <laughs> yeah. But Appalachian State looked great in that game. Yeah. And Tennessee, I don't want to say they completely laid an egg, but it was close. Yeah. I mean, I just broke down Joshua Dobbs' game from that Appalachian State game, and he made some bad decisions with the football. That interception he threw near the end of the first half was just almost an incredulous decision. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what he was thinking there. Um, but they, they survived. And sometimes when you're a team that's been picked by people to go places and you have that first stiff test, yeah. you can fold. But exactly. they didn't. I mean, they, they survived. They advanced. They had the win in overtime. Now they'll probably be ready. You know, maybe yeah. it was a situation where, and I don't want to read into the minds of young kids, but they were hearing all this preseason hype about them, how they're, this is the year that Tennessee finally gets over the top. Maybe they bought into it a little much. They got punched in the mouth by Appalachian State. Yep. Maybe they learned some from it going forward. Yeah. Um, and, and coming back and winning that game is, you know, hate to use a cliche, but something you can build off of and That's something right. that the players can say, you know that was not what we wanted to do, but that's a game that they can they can I guess build off of. I'm I'm curious to see how they react to this atmosphere. Um, that's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Yeah, 150,000 people. I mean, obviously Tennessee plays at Neyland Stadium where you get over 100,000 people out for each game, but this is 150,000 people in you know a racing venue. I mean, yeah. this is something that none of these players have ever experienced. Nobody's ever really experienced yeah. something like this. So, like you said, it's going to be a spectacle to watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. All right, we're going to transition over to the NFL. But before we do, uh, I want to tell you guys about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century, fast, powerful, and completely on ri- online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com FTW. Again, it's quickenloans.com FTW. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, let's move over to the NFL. Opening weekend, we can all take a week off, weekend off from college football because the games just aren't any good. Um, you ranked the wide receivers and tight ends in the NFC for the NFL 1000 list for Bleacher Report, which is a massive and daunting thing that I do not know how Doug Farrar, 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 okay, Doug Farrar uh, put together. It's uh, a great list everyone should check out. Wide receivers and tight ends, uh, I, 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 from what I saw of the list, um, mostly what I was suspecting, um, the guys are ranked on, let me see this, hands, uh, route, yards after catch, blocking, uh, what's POS, positional? Yeah, sort of a posi- positional value scale that we have for each position. So quarterbacks obviously have a little bit more Got points it. built in, things like that. Um, top of the list is sort of what I was expecting. When you went through and uh, ranked some people, who was someone that you were surprised by, either how high or how low they came in for you? Larry Fitzgerald. 
Yeah. Um, the engine that keeps on ticking. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's in the later stages of his career, but ranked really high for me, primarily based on his blocking ability, which is strange to think about from the wide receiver position. But yeah. He's really reinvented himself in that Arizona Carolina uh, Arizona Cardinals offense. Yep. Um, they use three wide receivers. It's a vertical passing game under Bruce Arians, but they use him as a lead blocker on a number of plays, either to set the edge or even in pass protection. Well, he'll be on the edge. He won't run a route. He'll protect Carson Palmer's blind side, which is a big task to ask of a wide receiver, yeah. but they'll let him do it. He was one of, I think, he was one of the perfect scores that I actually assigned um, when I was f- first looking at this. Um, I kind of tweaked that a little bit going through, but yep. um, ranked really high in blocking. And when you add into the fact that he He's still a very good route runner, still has very reliable hands, doesn't make, have a lot of drops to his game. He's still up there with the young bucks like Julio yep. Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. and some of the other guys that are near the top of the board. Fitzgerald came in at number five on the list ahead of A.J. Green, Alshon Jeffrey, DeAndre Hopkins, um, some names. And uh, another name up there, this wasn't, wasn't yours, this was over um, in the AFC, but Steve Smith Sr. is at 12. Um, Brandon Marshall at 13 so I, I I think it's it's easy to fall in love with with the the, the hot new thing but there's a reason that these established receivers yeah, keep finding I mean, work that's exactly right and Steve Smith senior is another great example of a guy who sort of reinvented himself um, he does not what you think pitcher when you like build your premier type yep. of outside wide receiver you pitch of guys like 6-3 can run fast can win on the outside but you know he's more of a slot guy that can play outside because of his play strength and Alex Kirby who did the grading for the AFC guys right now um, really high on what Steve Smith can still bring to the table I want to talk about the rookie wide receivers um, Sterling is it Shepard or Shep- Sterling Shepard yep. Sterling Shepard um, is someone that I've got my eye on just uh purely out of situation i just like i like the the situations he's got in new york uh, is he going to be the number is he going to be the number two guy he'll probably start out more than number three depending on what they can get from victor cruz but yeah. i think you're right nate that's a great situation for a rookie to find themselves in i mean if you look at this rookie draft class i think there are three offensive players that found themselves in incredible situations to start off with ezekiel elliott obviously yep. running behind that <clears throat> dallas cowboys offensive line paxton lynch uh, who's a quarterback who's going to eventually take over that starting job probably sooner than people might expect. That is an offense tailored to what he does as a quarterback. Yep. And Sterling Shepard, I think, is the next game on that list. I mean, you've got Eldell Beckham outside who's going to draw a lot of double coverage, going to have, have safeties rotate in his way. He's going to find a lot of one-on-one coverage coming out of the slot. And with Victor Cruz's health uncertainty, he's probably going to yep. get a lot of touches as well because at the tight end position, Larry Donald, William Ty, they're not pass-catching guys that you're going to really go to in the passing game. So he's going to see a lot of targets. Fantasy players that are out there, I hope you got in on the Sterling Shepard train early. Yeah. I certainly did. Yeah, so. that's someone that I, I targeted in. Um, there is some talent, you know, I, I think uh, Laquan Treadwell is someone that I've got an eye on in, in right. Minnesota. I don't know. I don't like who's throwing him the ball. <laughs> That's a big question mark for them. Um, you mentioned a rookie QB. What the hell's going on in Los Angeles right now? I don't know. I mean, full disclaimer, I did have Jared Goff as my top quarterback in this last draft yeah. class. And I still think right now he is, in terms of the traits that you evaluate at the quarterback position, the top guy in that class. But it just didn't click right away for him. And I knew he was going to need some time. I mean, coming out of that air raid style offense where, yes, he still made progression reads. Yes, he was still asked to, like, change the protection at the line of scrimmage, which are things pro quarterbacks are asked to do. He still did that stuff. But 
running this Jeff Fisher, Fisher offense, it just didn't click right away for him, so he needs some time. I'm not too worried about it yet. John Ledyard over at Inside the Pollen wrote a great piece about his preseason play and how it's not time to hit the panic button. I mean, these are guys that are just entering the NFL. We don't yeah. panic on them yet. It's not time to give up on these guys. Let him learn a bit. I think it's great now that he's in this situation that he's going to be inactive on week one, so he doesn't have to worry about all the other things that come with suiting up for your first NFL game. He can just sort of see what it's like to live a week as an NFL player, and yep. they'll start to get him some reps, make him active on game day, and he'll probably be starting near the end of the season, I bet. Interesting. Um, the whole thing is uh, a little strange to me. <laughs> it is strange, especially when you look at what the Los Angeles Rams are doing. They're trying to have this new identity now out in L.A. Yeah. They wanted a face of the franchise. They traded up to get Jared Goff, and now he's going to be inactive week one. So yeah. from that kind of standpoint, it's very puzzling. But I think this is the best way to sort of bring him along, given what he was able to do or the struggles that he had in the preseason. Interesting. Um, some... Let's before we get to tight ends, want to ask you a couple more about wide receivers. Sure. Uh, you weren't too kind to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here, um, I'm sh- and you were saying to me earlier that you were worried about your mentions for. Yeah. So everyone in Tampa Bay, chill. Be be cool, guys. <laughs> everyone well, just calm down. Yeah, and that's Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans is a receiver that I've studied a lot, both in terms of when he was coming in through the draft. I did a piece early in Inside the Pylons days about his first four weeks in the NFL, and he's a very good wide receiver, don't get me yeah. wrong. I think a lot of people are kind of expecting him to be ranked higher. He's sort of in the 30s, I think. Yeah. And I think the issues that I had in studying his tape from last year is he does get separation, but not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about the difference between, you know, NFL players, guys who are lead at their job. I mean, the difference is minuscule, but it can cause some separation in terms of ranking these guys. And so when a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. can get, you know, five, six yards of separation on a cut and Evans can get two to three yards, it makes a difference because it makes it an easier throw for the quarterback. Mm -hmm. It makes the quarterback's job easier. And when you get that much separation, it makes your ability to pick up yardage after the catch much easier for you. You can get more yardage. You have more space to make a cut, make a defender miss. So that's one issue with Evans. The amount of separation he's getting off of his breaks wasn't quite what you see from the more elite players. Mm -hmm. Catching the football. He can still make catches. He's got solid hands, but sometimes there are moments when he fights the football when he's trying to make a catch. He'll rely on body catches. It's not quite that elite level that you'd want to see from a premier top flight wide receiver. So he's going to get there. I mean, he's young. This is only, what, his third year in the league? So, I mean, he'll get there eventually. It's just not quite there yet. Interesting. Um, Throwing in the football, Jameis Winston, is this a – are you worried he doesn't have enough to work with at the wide receiver position? Or no, not at all. I think he's going to be fine this year, and I'm really fascinated to see the development of the two quarterbacks from last year's draft class, yeah, Mariota yeah. and Jameis Winston. I'm high on Mariota. I'm high year. on both of these yeah. guys. Um, I think what they're doing in Tennessee is fascinating with that sort of return to more what they call an exotic smash-mouth football, whatever that means. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. But at least in the preseason, they've been fairly impressive with Derrick Henry, who we were just talking about a yep. little bit earlier. Um, they've tailored some of what Mariota was familiar with at Oregon, some sort of run-pass option elements to their offense. So they've helped his transition along. Last year, Winston was given a lot more to do in the passing yeah. game, more sort of pro-style, complex passing concepts, but handled it really well. And I don't think that really surprised anybody, given what he was familiar with running that Florida State. Yeah. And so both of these guys, I think, are on the path to becoming sort of that upper-tier Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks. Interesting. Um, all right, let's get over to the tight end. Gronk's number one. We all sort of knew that was coming. Right. Um, 
What's a name that surprised me here? What's a name that surprised you, I guess, that for someone that you weren't expecting to, to rank so high? Jimmy Graham's up high. Jimmy Graham's up high, and a lot of that, we returned to the block, and yeah. we talked about Larry Fitzgerald. Obviously, that wasn't something he was doing a lot in New Orleans. Yes. They were basically relying on him as more of a wide receiver than anything. He comes to Seattle, and he's tasked with doing a lot of blocking in that zone running scheme that they use sometimes, blocking on the backside of that where he's tasked with cutting a defensive end on the backside and getting him to the turf. And he responds to that pretty well. Um, he still has the great elements that made him a weapon in the passing game, those yep. are still there. Now you add a little bit of that block into it as well. It makes him a more complete player. That's why he moved high up for me. Jason Witten, I think, surprised me. And he was my top-ranked NFC tight end. And yeah. you think about a guy that's near the end of his career still playing at that level but still gets separation on his routes, can run deep routes, can run crossing routes against linebackers or safeties. Yep. So he's a weapon for now an offense and has a rookie quarterback step in for them. So I think Des Bryant, Jason Witten, two guys that I was high on after doing this film work, yep. they're going to be very valuable for Dak Prescott. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I can I can imagine now the, the play action to Ezekiel Elliott and then yep. Dak going quickly to Witten a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to see a ton of that. And this was a team that was – designed to have that sort of element to their game. Yep. I mean, they have a tremendous offensive line. They get Ezekiel Elliott, who's probably one of the more complete running backs to come out in any recent draft class. Yep. You had Tony Romo anticipated to be your starting quarterback, who's near the end of his career. He's been battling injuries. You want to keep him protected, so you probably build your game around the running game. So I don't expect too much of a change in what Dallas is going to do now that Dak Prescott is stepping in. Well, we were talking about Jimmy Graham a second ago in Seattle, uh, I was surprised to see Christine Michael ahead of Thomas Rawls at, on the depth chart this week. I know Rawls is fighting through an injury. Uh, where does that end up by, say, week six? I probably think they end up going back to Rawls once yeah. he's completely 100%. Um, the, the injury probably hampered his development this preseason, the amount of reps you could get in practice, and they just saw more of Michael. So they felt yeah. comfortable going into week one with what they, they know what he can get from him yeah. in week one. It's more of a question mark with Rawls. I think once Rawls' injury is completely back, he's 100%, he'll get the bulk of the carries. The, the, the players on the team seem pleasantly surprised with Michael, though. and I, 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 I don't yeah. know if it's just he got, he got more reps and, and surprised them a little bit. I, but. I think that's it. I mean, when you're seeing somebody that you weren't expecting a lot from come in day in and day out and just do good work and practice – it has an effect on the players. Yeah. Players pick up off of that, and they feed off of that. Um, last one uh, that I wanted to ask you about that uh, I was a little surprised about was Jordan Reed down, I guess not down, but at, at fifth, uh, you know, Washington fans this year, you live here, you know they, they expect him to be Gronk this year. Right, um, and he may be. Okay. You know, he may be that type of player. It's just from the film work that I did going through last season. That's kind of the methodology that we took for this. Yep. For this, um, We studied, you know, multiple games of each player from last season's tape. For the rookies, we factored in some of their preseason stuff as well as their college stuff as well. But, I mean, it wasn't that we took a snapshot of a couple of plays and then based a grade off of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking about, you know, hours of tape on each of these players. And when you look at the bulk of Jordan Reed's work, he's what I'd say upper tier almost to that sort of elite level, but he's just not quite there. I want to see some improvements from him on route running, sharper yep. cuts, getting in and out of his breaks better to get more separation. Some He's a good blocker. I want to see some more consistency there mm -hmm. um, when he's asked to block, which he is asked a lot to, to do in this uh, Washington offense. Some improvements there will get him kind of probably make him that number one tight end in the NFC. Okay. Um, all right, opening weekend, what's a team that – 
and I've got a couple of my own. What's a team that you just can't make heads or tails of that you really want to see in week one that, that you don't that you want to see what this team's about? Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously Rex Ryan has always been sort of that outgoing, sort of brash and bold. Yeah. He's kind of been quiet this year. You haven't heard a lot out of Buffalo, out of Rex Ryan. And in years past, we've heard a lot more from him, you yep. know, making Super Bowl predictions. He's been a little quiet, and that makes me think he knows he has something good. You've got Tyrod Taylor, who's had a pretty good year at the quarterback position last year, and he seems to be developing into the sort of the – you know, a, a suitable quarterback in the NFL, mm-hmm. which is not what a lot of people expected when he came out of college. And I think he's made some great strides in developing into a downfield passer. They've got a, you know, going to have a well-coached defense. They've got some weapons on the defensive side of the football. This might be the year that maybe finally somebody knocks the NFC, the um, New England Patriots off the top of that yeah. AFC East. I mean, with that four-game suspension of Tom Brady. I'm curious to see what Buffalo brings to the table. Interesting. Um, mine's the Packers. I can't. Packers. I can't decide if what this team is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, they had some struggles offensively last yeah. year. Um, they they need to get that sorted out. Some of the route concepts and designs that they were using, they just weren't good enough to get guys separation naturally. They yeah. had some protection problems, and it all just kind of snowballed from there. So they need some just. They just need to be better offensively, more yeah. consistent. I don't know. I, I'm. I, I sort of have them as a sneaky, uh, bounce back in a big way team. And they certainly could. They have the talent. Okay, um, last one. You're you're a Boston guy. You grew up there, as did I. Uh, Patriots after Week Four. What's their record? I'd say two and two. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what most people are saying. I mean, they've obviously got a tough test um, Sunday night yep. out in Arizona. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo coming out of Eastern Illinois, sort of the book on him was he didn't deal well with pressure. When he was blitzed, um, would have to react and would have to make plays off structure, off script. That was when he struggled. Yeah. He shored that up a little bit in the preseason. When he was blitzed, he completed, I think, 80% of his passes for a quarterback rating of about 118.4, which yeah. is pretty good. Arizona's going to blitz him a ton. They're a team that blitzes, I think, on 40% of their snaps. They love to do it. So we're going to see early you know, how well he's going to handle pressure like that. But then they get a somewhat favorable schedule after that. Yeah. So um, I think 2-2 two and two is pretty reasonable, um, given the fact that you're starting the season without Tom Brady. Yep. Rob Gronkowski isn't 100% right yet. Um, so I... I think two and two makes the most sense for them. Anything better than that, New England fans should be overjoyed. All right, um, Mark, man, Nate, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, of course. Your, what's thanks your so Twitter? Much. You can find me at Mark M A R K Schofield S C H O F I E L D. Please be nice, Buccaneers fans. <laughs> be nice, Buccaneers fans. Uh, everyone else, read Mark on Inside the Pylon at Bleacher Report. This is the For the Win podcast. Uh, we also simulcast this on Facebook Live, so for everyone watching there. Thanks for watching. Uh, We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Audio Boom. We're on SoundCloud. All those things. Uh, search for us, USA Today, for the Win Podcast, and subscribe and do all this stuff. Mark, man, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Anytime, my friend.